Let me just say this, just as um, before the children even make their way out, let me just say this. A lot of what I talk about has to do with running. I can relate to that because I'm a runner. So um, last week I shared with you, you know, how I struggled through this half marathon and yada, yada, yada. This month we've been talking about new, okay? So here's where some of us are. We're very aware of the old. Am I right? Who can relate to that? It's like this month we've become very aware of the old. And we're becoming aware of the new. And here's what happens. We talk about process. Everybody say process. We talk about that a lot. Here's the beautiful thing about process. Yesterday, it's raining. I don't want to go run. But I do. And for the first time in a long time, now look, I'm still slow as Christmas, right? But for the first time in a long time, when I got done with the run, I kind of wanted to go a little more. I was sad I couldn't do a few more miles. I'm not where I was, but I know I'm not where I, I'm not where I'm going to be. I'm not where I was. And here's the beauty of process. Yesterday, I kind of went, I like that feeling. And some of you need to embrace that. We get it. We're scoundrels, right? That's become very obvious. I mean, we wouldn't have needed the cross if we weren't scoundrels. But we're learning new things, new behaviors, new defaults, new actions, new clothes. We're learning new stuff. There's hope in that. So some of you this morning, before Gina even comes, I want to pray for you that you would begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. That God has seen where you are. He's not teaching us all this so that we'll end up staying where we were. I want you to just close your eyes and bow your head. And let's just begin to pray. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm in process, I'm very aware of that. Would you just lift your hands where you are? Just lift your hand. And we're going to pray. And then Gina's going to come. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just ask that you would minister to those whose hands are in the air. On the one hand, I'm glad that you have highlighted the old because it really puts into perspective how amazing the new is. You have not come to leave us where we were. You are bringing us into a new relationship, new clothes, new ways of thinking, new behavior, a new default. This morning, God, as we listen to Gina, as she shares your perspective on, on life, on new life, God, I know that it's going to be easy for us to feel condemnation. But there is no condemnation in Christ. You have saved us from the body that was full of death. That's the old. And we continue, God, just like, just like yesterday when I ran, it felt good. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. God, we're in process. And this morning we make a decision to see you and what you're doing.
your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As Gina comes this morning, let me just say this. She's from the Pregnancy Resource Center, and there are, um, we love to support ministries. You can come on, Gina. We love to support ministries here. And this is one that we support on a regular basis because they are on the front lines. And when we think Pregnancy Resource Center, we think babies, right? Who thinks babies? Yeah. But here's the great thing about the PRC. They definitely think babies, but they think Jesus. Everybody that walks through those doors, they hear about Jesus. And, man, we want to come alongside. We send to them every single month. Now, listen, money's good, right? Right? Money is good, right, Gina? But even better than money are people who are so moved that they get up off their butts and do something. And so that's what we're all about. We want to do something this morning. Okay, you come, come on, Gina, and you listen as she speaks. You're going to be moved by what she says. It's going to be fantastic. Give her a big hand as she comes up here. Good morning. It's um, wonderful to be here and to fellowship with you all this morning. And I'm, um, I'm one of those people who Jesus has changed their life. Um, I think back about my past and what was old, and I am so thankful that I am new now. And I wouldn't be here today if um, I hadn't allowed Jesus to, to take over and, and completely lead my life. On behalf of our board, I do want to um, thank you all, Pastor Paul, for having us today and also for your support, your finances. But most of all, I would just ask for your prayers. We are still in a time of change and transition, but um, we are just letting God lead, and um, hopefully um, some good things will continue to happen at the PRC. Um, today, we, are, we celebrate the sanctity of human life. And I'm not going to talk just about the life of the unborn, but I'm going to talk about everybody here and, and basically what you mean to God and what um, you mean to Christ and how much he values you as well. We will be um, kicking off the baby bottle boomerang, and um, that is a three-week um, period where you will take the bottles home if you want to and then fill them up with change and bring them back. That's done every year in conjunction with Sanctity of Human Life Month. Um, and as I said, uh, we do celebrate it this week. It marks the 39th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which makes abortion legal in this country. And if you're not um, you know, familiar with abortion statistics or anything like that, I would like to share some with you because I think it just brings it, brings it a little bit closer to us as we talk about um, some things that happen worldwide and statewide and even here in our own community. Uh, worldwide, there are 42 million abortions per year. That's wor worldwide. In the U.S., there are approximately 1.2 million abortions performed each year, and over 52 million have been performed since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. An estimated 35% of all women will have at least one abortion by the age 45. And 50% of U.S. women having abortions are younger than 25 years old. While black Americans make up 12% of the population, the abortion rate in the black community is 30%. Women identifying themselves as Protestants obtain 43% of abortions in the U.S. and Catholic women account for 27%. 93% of all abortions 
occur for social reasons, which is basically um, a matter of convenience. The child is unwanted or it's just not a convenience for them to have their child. Less than 1% are performed because of rape or incest and 6% occur basically because of potential health problems. In our counties, in Stanley and Montgomery counties in 2010, out of 1,134 pregnancies, there were 122 reported abortions. 157 of those were teen pregnancies and 18 resulted in abortion. And in our state in 2010, 25,808 abortions were reported. Now maybe you're wondering why I'm telling you this. I'm certainly not here to to judge or to condemn anyone who is post-abortive. And I know that there are post-abortive women in here because of the statistics I just read. That is just a fact that we're going to deal with um, whether we're in the church or whether we're not. I just want to share what I believe God has done in the ministry of the PRC and why I feel led to be a part of it and why God has led me. When I first started in the ministry as a volunteer, I really had no idea how many women were seeking to have an abortion. The darkness of it quickly opened my eyes and pierced my heart, and God was clearly telling me to be a voice. So as I continued to serve um, on a volunteer basis, the opportunity to serve on staff opened up. I wanted to do everything I could to help women facing an unplanned pregnancy so they might choose life for their unborn babies. Again, God was telling me to be a voice for the woman who was in crisis and for her unborn child. And as I began my training, we used a, a material called uh, Equipped to Serve as a peer counselor. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like for you to turn to um, John chapter 4. These scriptures dramatically shaped my understanding of the role of the Pregnancy Center Counselor, and they spoke directly to my heart. The example of Jesus in John 4 has helped me to guide the ministry in my various roles and responsibilities. I use it to evaluate my interaction with each woman that God sends to us for care, because each person is God's gift to teach us how to love as Christ loves. So we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Next to my um, line there, I put rescued her from nothingness. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And I put long-lasting eternal. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have answered correctly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Now, how many of you in here have, um, are on Facebook, have social media, or spend a lot of time with that? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I happen to read a lot, and so I guess my time that I would be using on Facebook, I use on reading a book. And I came across um, an, a narrative of Jesus um, as he retells the story to the Samaritan woman in Max Licato's book um, titled Six Hours, One Friday. So I'm going to read you the retelling of this story um, according to Max Licato's book, and this is what he says. Quote, Her eyes squint against the noonday sun. Her shoulders stoop under the weight of the water jar. Her feet trudge, stirring dust on the path. She keeps her eyes down so she can dodge the stares of others. She is a Samaritan. She knows the sting of racism. She is a woman. She's bumped her head on the ceiling of sexism. She's been married to five men. Five. Five different marriages, five different beds, five different rejections. She knows the sound of slamming doors. She knows what it means to love and receive no love in return. Her current mate won't even give her his name. He only gives her a place to sleep. On this particular day, she comes to the well at noon. Why hadn't she gone in the early morning with the other women? Maybe she had. 
Maybe she just needed an extra draw of water on the hot day, or maybe not. Maybe it was the other woman she was avoiding, other women she was avoiding. A walk in the hot sun was a small price to pay in order to escape their sharp tongues. Here she comes. Have you heard she's got a new man? They say she'll sleep with anyone. Shh. There she is. So she came to the well at noon. She experienced silence. She expected solitude. Instead, she found one who knew her better than she knew herself. He was seated on the ground, legs outstretched, hand folded, back resting against the well. His eyes were closed. She stopped and looked at him. She looked around. No one was near. She looked back at him. He was obviously Jewish. What was he doing here? His eyes opened and she ducked in embarrassment. She quickly went about her task. Sensing her discomfort, Jesus asked her for water. But she was too street smart to think that all he wanted was a drink. Since when does an uptown fellow like you ask a girl like me for water? She wanted to know what he really had in mind. Her intuition was partly correct. He was interested in more than water. He was interested in her heart. They talked. Who could remember the last time a man had spoken to her with respect? He told her about a spring of water that would quench, not the thirst of the throat, but of the soul. He told her about a, he told her about a spring of water that would quench, not the thirst of the throat, but of the soul. That intrigued her. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. Go call your husband and come back. Her heart must have sunk. Here was a Jew who didn't care if she was a Samaritan. Here was a man who didn't look down on her as a woman. Here was the closest thing to gentleness she'd ever seen. And now he was asking her about that. Anything but that. Maybe she considered lying. Oh, my husband, he's busy. Maybe she wanted to change the subject. Perhaps she wanted to leave. But she stayed and she told the truth. I have no husband. Kindness has a way of inviting honesty. You probably know the rest of the story. I wish you didn't. I wish you were hearing it for the first time. For if you were, you would be wide-eyed as you waited to see what Jesus would do next. Why? Because you've wanted to do the same thing. You've wanted to take off your mask. You've wanted to stop pretending. You've wondered what God would do if, if you opened your cobweb covered door of sin. This woman wondered what Jesus would do. She must have wondered if the kindness would cease when the truth was revealed. He will be angry. He will think I'm worthless. If you've had the same anxieties, then get your pencil out. You'll want to underline Jesus' answer. You're right. You have had five husbands, and the man you are with now won't give you a name. No criticism, no anger, no what kind of mess have you made of your life lectures. No, it wasn't perfection that Jesus was seeking, it was honesty. The woman was amazed. I can see you are a prophet. Translation, there is something different about you. Do you mind if I ask you something? Then she asked the question that revealed the gaping hole in her soul. Where is God? My people say he is on the mountain. You people, your people say he is in Jerusalem. I don't know where he is. I'd give a thousand sunsets to see the expression on Jesus' face as he heard those words. Did his eyes water? Did he smile? 
Did he look up into the clouds and wink at his father? Of all the places to find a hungry heart, Samaria. Of all, of all the Samaritans to be searching for God, a woman. Of all the women to have an insatiable appetite for God, a five-time divorcee. And of all the people to be chosen to personally receive the secret of the ages, an outcast among the outcasts, the most insignificant person in the region. Remarkable. Jesus didn't reveal the secret to King Herod. He didn't request an audience of the Sanhedrin and tell them the news. It wasn't within the colonnades of a Roman court that he answered his identity, that he announced his identity. No, it was in the shade of a well in a rejected land to an ostracized woman. His eyes must have danced as he whispered the secret, I am the Messiah. The most important phrase in the chapter is one easily overlooked. Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Don't miss the drama of the moment. Look at her, wide-eyed with amazement. Listen to her as she struggles for words. You are the Messiah? And watch as she scrambles to her feet, takes one last look at this grinning Nazarene, turns and runs right into the burly chest of Peter. <laughs> she almost falls, regains her balance, and hop-foots it towards her hometown. Did you notice what she forgot? She forgot her water jar. She left behind the jug that caused the sag in her shoulders. She left behind the burden she brought. Suddenly, the shame of the tattered romances disappeared. Suddenly, the insignificance of her life was swallowed by the significance of the moment. God is here. God has come. God cares for me. That is why she forgot her water jar. That is why she ran to the city. That is why she scrambled, grabbed the first person she saw and announced her discovery. I just talked to a man who knows everything I ever did, and he loves me anyway. The disciples offered Jesus some food. He refused it. He was too excited. He had just done what he does best. He had taken a life that was drifting and given it direction. He was exuberant. Look, he announced to the disciples, pointing at the woman who was running to the village, Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now for the reaping. Who could eat at a time like this? That, to me, is what the ministry of the PRC is about. There are hurting women, there are hurting men, there are hurting souls that Jesus cares about. So as I continued in the ministry, God started speaking to me about an abortion recovery program, and this is a very sensitive issue, and I realize that abortion is not talked a lot about in church, but it is here, and it is in the church, and there are women and men who are hurting from a past abortion experience, and they need to know that Jesus cares and that he can bring healing. After attending extensive training to lead this Bible study, Forgiven and Set Free, we were able to offer it to the women in our community who have been suffering from a past abortion. Our next session is to start Monday, February 27th. Once again, God was telling me to be a voice for the women who are dealing with post-abortion stress. 
Yes, God values the life of the unborn, and as the church, we should always be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. But this morning, I want those of you who have suffered from an abortion, whether you're a man or a woman, to understand how much God values your life. You are valuable to Him because you too were created in His image. And why am I telling you this? You're probably sitting there going, why is she telling me this? Why does this, how is this going to affect me? I guess I just need to tell you how it has affected my life. Again, in another book that I read during Christmas, it was from Craig Groeschel, and the name of his book is Weird, because normal isn't working. And he says that God oftentimes gives, gifts us with an unusual blessing. You might want to call it a weird blessing, because most of the time we call it a burden. If you listen, God will show you something that makes your heart ache on behalf of his. He will bless you with a burden. If we want to grow closer to God, if we want our values to be his values, then we need to become vigilant for opportunities where he wants to bless us with a burden. He wants to move us beyond our self-focused, normal understanding of his blessings and into an others-focused, extraordinary experience of his character. We reflect God's character the most when we give freely of ourselves with no strings attached, no secret motives, no hidden agenda, no return benefit other than pleasing our Father by sharing His love with His other children. If you aren't already blessed with a weird burden, I pray God will bless you with one soon. End quote. And as I read that book, I started realizing the blessings in my life, the blessing that God had given me. My blessing is the woman facing the unplanned pregnancy, the unborn child, the teenager who is sexually active with an STD that she could possibly carry with her for life, the woman who has suffered the abortion experience, God has blessed me to be a voice for them. To come alongside the woman who walks through an adoption plan knowing that she is going beyond choosing life for her baby. To come alongside the single mother striving to finish school, get a job, and raise her child, knowing that she may be parenting before she is ready. To come alongside the teenager who is sexually active with the STD and how they can change their lifestyle and move forward. To come alongside the woman who has experienced a past abortion and encourage her to seek God's forgiveness and healing knowing that the real challenge is for her to accept God's forgiveness and not continue to walk in condemnation. My involvement at the center is not so much out of a commitment to the pro-life cause, as good as that might be, but more a commitment to the Lordship of Christ and to love the hurting people through Him. Our ministry is to be an extension of God's presence in our community of need, an expression of God's character to a lost world, and an exhibition of God's power in meeting the needs of those who trust and obey God out of a broken and contrite heart. As I continue to do this, I will let the example of Jesus in John 4 guide my steps. Because every life is valuable to God, and there is no life beyond His grip of grace. 
This past year, we had three women who made um, parenting plans for their children. And maybe you're thinking, well, parenting, okay. They're, they're getting their cribs, they're getting their bassinets, they're getting the things they need. But these three women went a step beyond making a parenting plan. They placed their babies for adoption. One in, woman in particular was pregnant because of uh, rape. And when she eliminated the abortion decision, she then had to decide if she was going to parent her child or have someone else parent her baby. And as she walked through her pregnancy, God showed me so many things through her life and through the strength that she exemplified in that decision. It was not easy for her, and there were many difficult times. And when she delivered her child, she wanted the adoptive family to be there, and she wanted her baby to be born and immediately placed in the adoptive couple's arms. And when I went to the hospital the next day, and I saw the adoptive mother sitting on the birth mother's bed with her, and the adoptive father holding that newborn baby. That was, that was Jesus. That was God all over the place. Because in the flesh, that could not have happened. And so I guess my challenge, my, my question to you all is, what has God blessed you with? It's not, I mean, God has blessed me with working with women in unplanned pregnancies, and yes, with unborn children, but it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. There are lives all over this place, all over this community that God values. And when I talk about the sanctity of life, I'm not talking about just the unborn. I'm not talking about just the little babies. I'm talking about everyone that God created in his image. And you all here can be a part of that. It might not be at my ministry. It might be at the community inn. I don't know what God has for you. Maybe you're here today and you feel like the woman in John 4. I can relate to her. Maybe you feel like you're not loved. Maybe you feel like you have little worth. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced the pain of abortion and it's only been spiraling downward as you've tried to cope with it. Maybe you're here today because you're a single parent and you're exhausted, not knowing where your strength will come from. You are not here by accident. There are people who care. There are people in this room, in this church, who care. They are surrounding you right now. Maybe you're here today and God has healed you from your past. If that is the case, I hope God has blessed you with a weird burden. And if he hasn't, I pray that he will. I'd like to show you just a short video and then Pastor Paul, I will turn it over to you. When you, when you look at this video, please don't look at it as just the unborn. Yes, we do celebrate sanctity of human life 
day and this whole week, we'll be talking about the value of life and how God knit us together in our mother's womb. There are so many scriptures that relate to the unborn. But God has also burdened me and blessed me to be a voice for those women who have experienced the pain of abortion. He has, he has blessed me with it very strongly because I so desire those women to have that healing and forgiveness that they need because they too were created in his image and they can accept his forgiveness. God created mankind in his own image. He created them, male and female, in the image of God. Like a set of new glasses that helps us see the world with greater clarity, the value of human life defines how we see and respond to those around us. From the formation of a child's first tiny cell to life's final breath, all life has value. Because each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that is why, when we talk about being pro-life, it's not just about a political issue. It's a worldview. It's a life view. It's a way of looking at each human life that transcends culture, class, race, age, and opinion, knowing that we are all uniquely created in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is deeply rooted in scripture and modeled through the life of Jesus Christ who said, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we begin to see others as God sees them, we're moved to care more deeply about those created in his image. And we will live each day in a way that honors our creator. We won't see the scriptures as mere words, but as commands to express his heart through our actions. Commands like speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And ensure justice for those being crushed. Or love your neighbor as yourself. The sanctity of human life speaks to ancient questions that span all of time and every culture. Questions like, who is God? Who am I? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded to those questions with the story of the Good Samaritan who saw another man who was broken and bleeding. And instead of looking the other way as others had, he stopped and cared for that man, even at great cost to himself. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let us see people as God sees them, seeing their needs. And having mercy on them, because every person is made in the image of God. Don't be silent in the face of injustice, but be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. May we not pass judgment on the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy, but surround her with support, helping her to see the child growing within her as a unique person with a life as valuable as her own. So reach out to orphans in distant lands or the foster child in our own backyard who is waiting, hoping, and praying for a family to call their own. Embrace those with special needs as a special reflection of the image of our Creator God. Let us care for the widow in distress and loneliness. And let us befriend those in prison. Let us shine a light on practices that distort human dignity. Like human trafficking and the cycle of poverty that limits God-given potential and dreams. Make sacrifices to meet the needs of those dying preventable deaths because they lack food, 
medicine and clean water let us rejoice in the image of god as expressed through various skin colors and ethnic traditions refusing to tolerate racist attitudes that mock the one that created us let us choose to see those who disagree with us as god sees them treating them with respect and dignity while helping them to open their eyes to see the beauty and value of life that is what it means to be pro-life this is why we need to be a voice